Hello again, everyone. I'm Ed Mullins. Welcome back to The Point. Uh, with me today is Oren Barzillet. He's president of the FDNY EMS Union. Um, I know everyone thinks FDNY, but EMS is a component of the FDNY that basically handles all of the aided's um, facing the people of the city of New York. But um, at this time, I'll let Oren tell more about what his members do than me. Oren, welcome. Thanks for taking the time to get a message out. Um, appreciate having you. Um, Oren, why don't you tell us a little bit about you um, when you first got involved as an EMS worker and president of the union, and then maybe we can talk a little bit about what EMS does. Sure, sure. Good morning, and thank you for having me. Um, I joined the uh, EMS in 1995 before the merger took place. Uh, which was in 1996. Uh, I was very young. I was in my early 20s, uh, worked in Harlem. That was my first assignment. It was extremely busy. Uh, it was an eye opener of all the trauma that uh, I never thought I was going to see. And uh, in my first few years, you know, working with police officers and firefighters, uh, I started noticing uh, faces changing in the police and fire side. So I was uh, inquiring uh, what happened to this officer, what happened to this firefighter, and colleagues would tell me, oh, they retired. They did their 20 years and they retired. I said, oh, that's great. Uh, when do I get to retire? And uh, at that time, they told me, oh, you got to stay here till you're 62. I was like, that's 40 years I got to do here. Uh, and we didn't have a great pension at the day. So uh, I decided in 1999 to start going to union meetings and start seeing what's being done about EMS pensions. And uh, I got involved ever since then. And uh, a few years later, the previous president, uh, we put up a team together and we were able to get legislation to give us a 25 year pension. Uh, it's not identical to police and fire, but it's much better than working till 62, you know. Uh, uh, I did my 25 years. Last year I reached it. Uh, I'm eligible to retirement at the age of uh, 48. So it, it's great. It's much better than being 62 year. So uh, ever since 1999, I've been in held different positions in the FDNY EMS union and Four years ago, I was elected as the president. Uh, and here we are today, fighting with our mayor uh, to try to get us above minimum wage. It's, it's, it's just terrible. Uh, so I'm here to ask, you know, to, to answer any questions. I have a lot of questions for you because uh, I, I go way back into the early 80s and, you know, every time 911 was called for any kind of an aided or, you know, a fatality, an accident, anything along those lines. Um, EMS workers were always standing right next to us. And generally they get right in front of us when it's significant enough. So I got a lot of questions, but really for the purpose of clarity for the, for the people watching, can you just tell them a little bit about what EMS does, what the training is, the types of people that make up EMS. I think it's important that they see EMS as, as people who are serving the public in extraordinary ways because people's lives depend on it. And many times EMS is saving those lives. So why don't you describe it better than me? So EMS, you know, emergency medical services has uh, in New York City, two levels of uh, providers. You have your basic life support providers, which are the emergency medical technicians, and then you have your ALS advanced life support providers, the paramedics. Uh, the EMTs go through uh, rigorous three months of training at the FDNY ES Academy. Uh, you know, it's dealing with trauma, dealing with bleeding, shock, uh, people who go into cardiac arrest, respiratory arrest, uh, and we maintain life at the basic level. And then you have your extensive training for the paramedics, which is uh, nine months. Uh, typically it's a two year program, but because the FDNY uh, is so aggressive with the teaching, uh, we're, doing, we're able to accomplish it in nine months. And 
it, it's a grueling training. It's uh, basically street doctors. Uh, you know, they bring the emergency room to you. Our paramedics can do various skills uh, as far as uh, IV fluids, uh, drugs uh, administration. Uh, they can uh, basically shock you at the street, on the street, or back of the ambulance. Uh, you know, they do everything that an EMT does but they have a little more in-depth training where uh, i shouldn't say a little more they have a lot more training where they are basically uh, doing what an emergency room does in the back of the ambulance with drugs and all their skills that they they learned you're short right now about a thousand ems workers am i correct yeah you know we are always working at basic staffing, meaning that should a incident happen, uh, let's say a, a major car accident, a school bus, uh, a fire, you know, it, it depletes our system, you know. Um, so let's say a fire broke out in the Bronx for some, for God forbid. You know, now we have to pull resources from Queens, from Manhattan to help the Bronx out. So we never, and le which, which in turn leaves those communities unattended by, by EMS. And that happens on a daily basis where call volume spikes. Uh, we're constantly moving units around. Uh, Far Rockaway, for instance, has never had sufficient staffing. So we leave Jamaica neighborhoods unattended by FDNY personnel because those units are on a daily basis redeployed to Far Rockaway. Queens units are on a daily basis redeployed to the Bronx. Uh, it, it is so bad that, uh, God forbid, we have a major disaster again, we are definitely not prepared with the staffing level. Has anything been done to address that? I mean, do the community board members know, do the local council members know that this is a shortage in their particular districts? And if so, what are they doing about it? So uh, I, I do not believe the communities are aware. You know, uh, it's definitely something that our local needs to uh, address more with the communities. I mean, we have testified at council hearings about this, um, specifically Far Rockaway. They, they did address it uh, partially. They added two additional units after we testified. Uh, but it's still not enough. The call volume uh, is still increasing every day. When I started this job, it was roughly 2,500, 2,900 calls a day. Now we are at 4,500 to 5,500 calls a day. So even though they added, uh, uh, also when I started, it was 3,000 of us. Today, there's 4,000 of us. Even though the call volume has doubled, they only increased us minimally. So uh, we're doing more with less people. What does the mayor say about this? Or, you know, city hall staff that works for the mayor? What, I mean, you notice a shortage. You just described more personnel, but still even more calls. So it, it's obvious just based on the numbers that it's not being met. There's probably a delay also in response time, I'm guessing, right? Yeah. So, you know, it's very tricky how they do response times for EMS. Uh, Sometimes they stop the clock as soon as the fire engine gets there, which uh, doesn't mean EMS is there. So, uh, you know, the, the, the mayor, uh, listen, we started a, a, a basically a war with him two years ago when a reporter asked him, why is EMS uh, getting so low pay? And he, you know, he's like, he made a comment that stirred up a lot of fire in us. Uh, well, EMS is different. Yeah, we know we're different. You know, we have majority of our members are minorities. Majority of our members are women. Uh, is that the reason why we're different? Uh, so we, we've had a uh, a campaign on addressing those issues with him. Uh, as to why you were different. I'm sorry? What did he mean you were different? What was his explanation for that? Uh, he, he didn't uh, get into details, but Bob Henley from the chief leader asked him that question. And uh, he's always, uh, you know, giving a roundabout answer about EMS. He never addresses the real questions or the real issues. Uh, 
you know, uh, when he said EMS is different, uh, we took that as an insult. You know, how are we different? We, we are responding with fire and police to the same job. You know, why are we different? Let me ask you another question. It just triggered a thought is, uh, you know, I've been president for 19 years and, you know, municipal labor committee, um, you know, there's, there's a uniform coalition that often gets put together in bargaining talks and doesn't always work out. Some people work in smaller numbers. Sometimes it's bigger numbers. But it, it appeared in the past that corrections was kind of left out, although in the last time corrections was at a table amongst, you know, sanitation and others. But EMS is never at that table. And you are a uniform worker. You work side by side with the police. You work side by side with FDMI. Why is it that you're not at that table? Is it that you're not invited to the table? Is it that you choose to not be at the table? Uh, in, in January of 2001, we passed a city council resolution to consider us a uniform uh, force. Um, Mayor Bloomberg rejected that. Uh, we had to take it all the way up to the appellate court and we won in that court as well. Uh, it's been 20 years and they are still refusing to acknowledge us as a uniform force. Uh, they only call us a uniform force when it benefits them. However, at the negotiations, we are still considered uh, civilians. Uh, they refuse to put us with the four other uniform uh, components of the city, which is police, fire, corrections, and sanitation. Uh, so, so even as we're negotiating today, we ask them to 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 address uh, the uniform. Uh, issue, and they're refusing to do it. They're giving us the civilian pattern. So um, generally, not picking up that one percent differential that's been allocated to the uniform force over the years. Yes, yes. and that's why the gap has kept growing. Uh, we've had four four contracts, I believe, since the since we won this. And you know, if you get a percent or two every contract, that gap gets widening between us. And here we are today, stuck at $60 an hour. So, um, in, in some ways, it seems that they're almost taking advantage of the personnel. Like you just described training, and you have incredible amounts of training, all, all of which is related to life saving. Yeah. And your workforce, predominantly women, predominantly minorities, it, it appears that they're just disregarding you. And, you know, you have to say to yourself, why? I mean, you know, training in, in all of our academies, six months, seven months, it goes on. You're doing the same thing, not being recognized. You're still handling the same 911 calls, not being recognized. You're at the very same scene that we're on. And I'm going to get into the assaults that are taking place uh, on the EMS workers. But it, it's just not fitting. So you have to wonder if, if there's another motive here, especially since you want a court case. Um, and, and I find it baffling that you're not at the same table. Um, and, and I'm going to invite you to that table anytime there's another coalition. Me, I am going to invite you to that table Thank just you. in case you were not invited. Um, you know, let's walk into the room and, you know, now we'll say you are uniform and get all the other uniforms to stand with you. I, I think that they need to do that in order to help you along here because it's not making any sense that this is happening. Your members are being assaulted and almost record numbers compared to the past. Tell us about that. Why do you think that's happening? Um, why I think it's happening. I mean, this is going to be really, uh, 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 let's put the cards on the table. You know, they, they changed the laws, the bail reform in New York City, New York State. Uh, you know, police officers uh, and EMS personnel are now looked at as we are the ones who are at fault at everything that's happening in the city. Uh, we are the reason why crime is allowed. Uh, you know, the one who assaulted you is innocent. And now we are, I'm sorry, the one that assaulted us is the victim and we are the perpetrator. So uh, this bail reform, this anti-police movement, uh, has uh, has definitely took a toll on our city. Uh, 
uh, it, it's no longer safe, uh, not just for the public, but for, for the public servants. I mean, you walk in, are we walking into somebody's house trying to help them? And the next thing you know is uh, we're down on the floor getting attacked. I mean, wh where's the sense in that? I mean, you can disagree with the way things are in the city, but why assault somebody who's coming to your house to assist you or, or your loved one? It's it just mind boggling. And people just know that there's no consequences anymore. So, you know, you give them, uh, you arrest them. Uh, our fellow officers are arresting them and they take them to the precinct. Whatever happens with the DA's decision, they're back on the street within a couple hours. So uh, basically, there's no consequences anymore. The purpose is for NYPD to respond to those aided cases is to be there to protect EMS. That, that's one of the main purposes. I'm going back into the 80s when that was made aware to me and also to record aided. To, so that we can document the aided. The right. city has began a pilot program where they want to send social workers in to handle emotionally disturbed uh, people, which in turn, you know that a social worker is standing alongside an EMS worker um, without the police being present. It's my understanding from the social workers, they want nothing to do with this and that thereby leaves you exposed even further. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, that has been a major concern to us. You know, safety of our people has always been the priority. Um, however, they decided to follow a model that works in another state in our country. I think it's uh, Seattle or Portland, uh, one of those cities. And uh, it's been working there for apparently 20 some years, they say. I say, okay, that's great. You know, when you have a city that has a small call volume and they maybe have more intimate time with the patient. But we, we are a city where we have violence on a daily occurrence. You know, we, we read about them every day. We see that we see it on social media every day, how people are just bluntly assaulting the elderly, assaulting innocent bystanders. Uh, we, we are gravely concerned about this issue. Um, However, they were going to force us into it uh, as uh, some politicians were looking to pass legislation to make it part of our duties. Uh, there is a there's a bill up in Albany right now to make EMS uh, deal with mental health issues. So one way or the other, this was going to come down on us. Uh, and, you know, we, we're keeping a close eye on it. Well, EMS already deals with mental health issues, but they deal with it under the protection of the NYPD. Yes. Um, to extract that is completely insanity. It, it, it just makes no sense. Um, you know, if you're putting in letters to Albany or opposition letters, um, I, I, you know, I encourage you to reach out to the other unions to, to get that support uh, because it, it's certainly putting your members in harm's way and we'd be more than happy to support, you know, anything that you put in to uh, protect them. Um, your role during the pandemic, um, it appeared that FDNY was punishing EMS workers for speaking out about PPE. And as you know, really no city employees had PPE. Uh, we purchased almost $600,000 worth of our own. Um, your members were going right into the belly of the beast, which makes no sense that you had nothing. Um, tell me what happened during this. Tell me what it was like, because we know in a city of 8 million that we should have plenty of supplies and for stuff to go out, uh, especially doing what we do. Uh, you didn't have any. Your members were getting sick. Members were dying. But you were handling the people that were most critical. Uh, tell us more. So ironically, on, uh, on March 5th of 2020, uh, there was a city council hearing about uh, the health uh, risks coming to our city and if we were prepared for this COVID because they were, you know, we were watching what was happening uh, in Asia or Europe at that time where COVID was spreading at an alarming rate. And uh, we testified that should COVID come to New York City, we wouldn't be prepared. Amazingly, the following day, the city placed an order for PPE 
uh, equipment and supplies for everybody, not just for us, but for everybody. But it was it was too late. Uh, COVID was already here a few days later, and we were sent out there. And when the department realized that we were so short on uh, N95 masks, uh, they started uh, issuing orders that only on certain calls you can use uh, the N95 masks. And only on uh, people who are having respiratory issues, they can be used. And then they started uh, threatening that anybody who uses uh, N95 masks that don't fit the criteria uh, should, should be disciplined. And we're like, uh, well, just because I'm going to a call that has a broken foot doesn't mean that somebody else in the house doesn't have COVID. Right. You know, uh, just because they're calling us because of a severe headache, you know, they don't always tell us all their elements. We don't know if they have COVID. Sure. As far as we're concerned, all our patients have COVID. All the people that we're coming right. in contact with have COVID. So we started, you know, specifically, uh, uh, myself talking to the press about how unprepared the city was and that didn't go well with the department uh, they they tried to uh, basically uh, gag me uh, and my uh, men and women uh, one of them was uh, suspended uh, three others were restricted from from doing patient care and being on an ambulance able to earn a living uh, it, it just terrible situation that they put us in. And then on top of it, you're going to harass us about uh, not, uh, uh, you're going to harass us about us looking for protection. Uh, it didn't make any sense what was happening uh, from the department side. So uh, we, we decided to sue them for our first amendment right. They, they 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 basically violated our rights for speaking to the press. We didn't speak about our patients. You know, the public has a right to know what's happening in the city. The public has a right to know what it is that tax dollars are going for. They should know what's happening as far as people falling sick and dying. And when we uh, spoke to the press about it, um, that's when the retaliation started happening uh, against uh, myself and a few of my colleagues. And you have a right as a union president to represent your members. You have a right to express what's taking place. And if it means going public to defend your members, you have that right also. Um, that's know, correct. The city of New York and NYPD is doing the same thing to me. Um, I didn't realize they were doing it to you. Yeah. So this is, you know, systemic of what occurs, at least under the de Blasio administration. I've been around a long time. I've never seen a union president um, brought in or a lawsuit uh, where they try to silence what's taking place. And, you know, you, you have that right to do that. And I hope your suit is progressing and we can assist you in that in any way. Let us know. But members of uh, particularly your your union um tell us about what happened when they were sick and those that passed away as a result of it so as as the at the peak of the pandemic uh you know we had uh four uh four members who have uh, died uh, early on and then uh, as, as the days went by, we had three suicides. Um, I mean, more members have died since from COVID, but at the beginning it was uh, instantly uh, where a few hundred people became ill and uh, a few have uh, succumbed to the illness. Uh, it was rough, uh, you know, they, they, they placed us in harm's way. And this was a, a direct results of, of them not giving us the equipment that we needed. I mean, uh, I, I, I 
try to tell them that in the beginning that we need to go higher than the N95. From the from day one, I told them N95 is not really protecting our people. We need something better than that. It's an N100. The, the, yeah, the the, uh, the P100s that right. we use now. Right. Uh, and but we as a department, we even have better than that. We have our scuba. Uh, I'm sorry, our SCBAs that we use, and they kept saying they kept refusing to implement that. We have yeah. hazard technicians. We have rescue technicians. I mean, obviously the call volume would have been hard on them, but uh, you know. Why don't we utilize what we have? I mean, it's only, I think, maybe four or five months ago that we finally got the P100s. I mean, it's uh, it's great. Thank you. We appreciate it. Uh, don't take me wrong, but it's a little too late. So, um, you know, overall, half of my members have, uh, have you know, contracted COVID-19. Uh, we have uh, roughly about two dozen who are who are considered long haulers. Uh, they haven't recovered yet. They still have some major uh, medical problems from COVID. Uh, they're unable to return to work, and their their clock is running out. You know, they only give us a certain, uh, limited amount of time uh, with our line of duty injuries until you return or otherwise you'll be sidelined. And, uh, that day is approaching quick and we don't know what's going to happen with this people. Have you of suing the city for failing to protect your members, um, knowing that there was a request for PPE ahead of time that they didn't have it? Um, you're really a lifeline, you know, to the emergency room. Yeah. Anybody yeah. in the city of New York goes down, it's, it's you who takes them there for the most part, 99.9% .9 of the time. And it's clear, without speaking to you, that they didn't protect your members. Any possibility of filing a lawsuit? So that's something that uh, we are looking at. We still uh, haven't determined yet. Uh, our attorneys are still uh, in consult. We're still in consultation with them. So hopefully we'll know soon. But uh, because from what I understand, uh, the corrections attempted that, and they it didn't. It wasn't successful. Okay. Um, you mentioned suicide, a couple of members. It, it, yeah. It's clear to me that EMS workers must suffer some type of PTSD. Um, you know, you look at everything that occurs. I'm first on the scene. I got a vehicle fatality, this trauma. You see what takes place. Your personnel comes in right behind me. They begin to handle, you know, aid, aided, uh, maybe even extracting bodies out to a uh, a gurney to transport to a hospital. Traumatic, uh, a lot of visibility to what occurs. It stays with you. I know for a fact it embeds into the amygdala or the brain. Are you experiencing issues with PTSD and the members of EMS? You're 100% you're right. Uh, these calls, uh, sometimes they're engraved in our mind and it's hard to, uh, you can't just hit the delete button. It just stays with you. Uh, prior to COVID, uh, we averaged about 50 to 80 cardiac arrests a day. When COVID hit our city, it, it was over 400, 500 cardiac arrests called a day. So, so some, some of our members have seen more death than I've seen in my entire career here um, in a year's period. So uh, as you said, we see a lot of trauma. We see a lot of uh, assaults. We see everything that the police see, we see, you know, because uh, we work hand in hand together. So uh, PTSD is real. We have seen, again, uh, like, as I mentioned earlier, three men take their life. Uh, numerous, uh, countless others are showing signs of PTSD. Uh, they, they simply, uh, you can tell it changed them. This job has changed them. A lot have a lot have resigned. Uh, we lost hundreds of people uh, because they said it's just too much. Uh, it's not. It's not worth it. Um, you know, you, you, they beat us up with the wages, with the poverty wages, and the the assaults to add on top of it, 
because every day somebody else gets assaulted and you know there's no help in sight we don't have uh, uh, you know the department will take uh, credit for having a counseling service unit and and i am been i have been fighting with them for the past two three years that it's a, it, that it's basically a joke our counseling service unit it's not designed for ems it's a program that was uh, put together for firefighters. While I respect all our firefighters, uh, the FDNY's counseling service unit is not uh, for EMS. As a matter of fact, uh, most of the time, if you ask my members, they get turned away and they even ask them, why did you even call us? Uh, you know, when when our men and women need downtime for, for a critical incident, no, go available and do the next job. Uh, you know, we don't have that. If you need a, if you need some time off or to speak to somebody, it's on your own time. You have to use your sick leave. You know, but meanwhile, our counterparts on the suppression side, you know, they have unlimited sick, so they can they can have that time for counseling or for PTSD, whatever it is that they need. And God bless, I'm I'm grateful for them for having it, but we don't. You know, and we are the ones who are seeing all this trauma. And our men and women simply don't have. Uh, if you want help, go seek uh, outside counseling. Uh, it's going to cost you a, a penny or two, which they can't afford. So it's a vicious cycle that are that the men and women in in FDNY EMS go through. You know, off camera we spoke, and this is a point of clarity. I, I, this is not a comparison or condemnation. It FDNY gets this or NYPD. This is talking about what's right, what's fair, and what's shortcomings to your membership and really what they do. And I'm going to get into the bargaining in a minute, but you know, you mentioned assaults. You had an EMS worker. We had the photo up a little while ago. We'll bring it back up. Um, she was bitten, almost Hannibal Lecter-style bite. Tell us what happened here and what was the outcome of this particular case. So this... Uh young lady, uh, paramedic, um, was uh, called on scene to assist somebody who was having a medical crisis. And as they brought her downstairs, um, and as they started uh, preparing for transportation uh, outside the ambulance, this uh, her patient uh, grabbed her and, and started to grapple with her put her legs around her and started chomping on her face. She, she, she didn't, uh, you know, she didn't realize at first what was happening. And this goes back to, to what I was saying. We don't have the training even to deal with this. She, it took her at least a minute to get her off of her. Uh, we don't have any self-defense and, and that's another issue. We, we don't have the skills to deal with, with violent patients. We know how to treat them, and and we've been screaming for years, you know, to give us de-escalation training, to give us, a, you know, uh, uh, how to defend ourselves, self-defense training. I'm sorry, and uh, it falls on deaf ears, uh, and and she is one of the many victims that we have who have went through this experience, and I can tell you this, that she has now got PTSD from this incident. She is uh, sidelined. You know, no, no, she's a young woman. Uh, she's got a permanent scar on her face, you know, and it's, it's troubling. So just as a point, you, you don't have pepper spray, you don't have a taser, you never received any kind of defensive training to, you know, fight someone off you know, who's, who's assaulting you, nothing along those lines, no training at all for that. You know, the fire department takes pride uh, in what they call uh, street smart training. You know, that's something you teach uh, at fourth grade to somebody. Uh, anybody knows what street smart. I mean, yeah, but we need some serious uh, level of training here, not something that a four-year-old knows already. So we don't have What's any up? of the equipment or the training. Talk about salaries. Starting salary for an EMS worker is about thirty-five thousand. Am I correct? Yes. 
you're currently without a contract for the last three years. So am I. Um, if you can, I know some things you might not be able to say. Can you take us through um, bargaining? Why are you without a contract for the last three years and what's taken place? So, um, you know, we are a small union compared to the other bigger unions. Uh, 4,000 is a, is, a, is a fair size, but you have unions who have 20, 30, 70, 100,000 members. They go, they go ahead of us all the time. And they set the the standards of what will be the next patent bargaining. So the UFT went first, DC thirty seven went second. Uh, I mean that took a year or two. And then uh, in March of twenty twenty, I would say, is when we started our discussions with the city. So we were two years out. Uh, and then immediately COVID hit our city, so it put a stall on everything. So we are, for the past six months, we have started to ne- renegotiate again. And hopefully we'll uh, have a deal soon, but it's just terrible. Terrible. Sitting at that table is, it, it, they, it's an insult of what's being given to us. Consideration for upping the salaries to get them to within reason for course to live in. I've read that some of you are, and I actually know one who is telling me stories that, uh, no more than one, but one particular who's telling me stories about EMS workers living in shelters, living in their cars, trying to stay in the hospitals where they can to, you know, change and get some sleep to come back to work because they cannot afford to, you know, maintain an apartment. And is, is this all accurate that is that is all accurate you know uh, our members can't afford to live in the city in the city that they work for uh so they live so far away sometimes uh they have to sleep in their cars they have to sleep in the station uh some don't even have that option they're they're, they're so broke that they are living in a, in a shelter uh that they, they are uh staying with a friend uh what, what can you basically afford on $35,000? You know, you, uh, as I said on my interview with Fox, uh, you then have Uncle Sam who takes a part of your salary also. So you're left with $25,000, $30,000. What can you afford to, to live on? Uh, you can barely afford to eat. You can barely afford. I mean, the next thing you know, they, they, they may want to charge you for breathing in this city. Oh, they just so out of touch with the, with the salaries, not just for, I mean, I am, I'm advocating for my men and women, but I'm just saying there's so many people who are hurting out there. It, it's just terrible. And has this been brought across the table with the city when you're talking about people living in their cars and um, shelters and stuff? Have, have you explained that to them? We have, we have. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, we testified on this as well. Um, the, the council actually passed a when they passed the city budget la- last year, they included wage increases for EMS. It's in the budget, but uh, as far as releasing it to us, it's 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 a fight. You know, uh, you're asking you're asking for livable, comparable wages. But they just don't want to. They don't want you to have it. Is it true that workers at McDonald's and Costco make more than EMS worker? It is true. Uh, you know, Costco advertised, uh, I believe, two or three months ago, that they're paying eighteen dollars an hour. Uh, McDonald's did the same thing. Uh, you know, why work at EMS? Uh, you potentially get killed doing this job or, or contract a disease or be permanently disabled from an injury when you can go work behind a counter somewhere and, and, and don't take and please don't take this the wrong way. Anybody who goes to work is an is admirable thing to do in life. But why take the risks of working for a city that doesn't care for you? You know, uh, you, you, you're basically putting 
your life on the line for minimum wage when you can go make more money somewhere else you know have a stable position where you're not exposed to anything it, it's insulting it's insulting in many ways and you know I, I watched your interview with Rosanna Scotto about a week ago and um, you know you highlighted how um, you know the difference of uh, you know five percent raise still doesn't bring you up to adequate wages simply based on the disparity in pay of where you are now as compared to other unions. And we're not at times even meeting the cost of living to live in a city in New York. I laugh when they want to make city employees, particularly, you know, members of the NYPD, residents of the city, the teachers don't have to live in the city. Other city employees don't have to live in the city. I, I don't know if your employees have to live in the city. They, they no. don't. So at, at the end of the day, you are paying us substandard salaries that we cannot afford to live in a city and you know again and and i'm not telling you what you don't know but i've been alongside ems workers there's no way the city survives without having ems workers out in that street and when i saw your story on tv i, I was shocked I, I, this is something that needs to be addressed um have you weighed in on the upcoming election and had these conversations with either Eric Adams or Curtis Lewa? Uh, we've had uh, endorsed Eric. Um, you know, he's a he's a public worker. He's been he's held uh, many public positions throughout his career. Um, we believe that you know he understands EMS. Uh, more than anyone else because he worked side by side with us. Uh, he knows uh, what our job is. And I'm hoping that, you know, when when he becomes the next mayor, that this issue would be put to bed finally so our men and women could uh, live in harmony. And, uh, you know, we're not asking to be millionaires. We're not asking to be rich of this job. We all know we're not ever going to be rich from working here. Sure. We're just asking for livable wages. That's all we're asking for. You know, this, this, the fire department uh, is, is a great organization. However, there's uh, some dark sides to it that people don't understand or don't know. Uh, my men, the average person here does not stay more than three to five years, 70% of our people leave this job after three years. They, they're spending millions of dollars in reach and training new employees every year. Millions. Why not invest that into the people that you have currently rather than uh, rehiring every year? 25% of our members uh, leave every year. So, that, that you know, it doesn't make any sense. There's no seniority in this job anymore. Everybody here is is fairly new. Uh, our academy is constantly busy. They're putting in classes of 150 to 200 people every three months. Uh, so it, it's it, it's become uh, a turnstile. Why are they leaving? Besides what I think is the obvious, that the job conditions are horrendous, the pay is inadequate. Are, are they, for the most part, the predominant reasons why people are leaving? The, they're leaving any city job that opens up. My my men and women will go to the police department. I mean, when you have EMS officers, uh, supervisors leaving this job to become a police officer or a firefighter or a sanitation worker that that's that's alarming you know you're gonna go start somewhere else fresh they know after the second or third year they're gonna surpass their top pay salary here so they'll sacrifice you know two years of living in hardship but after two three years they'll make more money than us uh, employees who've been here 20 some years do you think that people would stay if the salaries were comparable to the other uniforms? I think so, you know, because uh, every time you run to a former EMSer on the fire side or police, you know, um, they will tell you this was a great job. The salary is just terrible. I mean, 
our job is is fairly unique. You know, uh, where do you go? Where what other jobs besides police or fire or EMS you get to go into somebody's home? You know, and make a difference in somebody's life. You know, all, all our jobs have self rewarding uh, that comes with it, but the pay. You know, you try, you try, and after three years, you realize nothing is changing, nothing is happening. They move on to somebody else, and and if you talk to them, they'll all tell you if the pay was different, we would stay. But I think if you ask any person that ever called nine one one for a EMS worker, um, what that feeling is like when they see them come through the door, there's a feeling of great satisfaction to to feel that something is about to happen when someone can be saved. And I think that's getting lost, you know, based on everything you're explaining. And, you know, the, the pay, it, I did not know the turnover was that high, uh, which leads me to believe that the city of New York uh, benefits from that. They benefit by lower starting salaries, uh, not paying out the pensions, not paying out the medical benefits, because for the exactly. most part, most of your members are going to be younger people come in and are not utilizing uh, the benefits. So it may be cheaper for them to train people and just keep having a turnover rather than keep employees who become experienced and stay in this system. Because I see a lot of that in law enforcement. Um, there are other municipalities that pay more than the NYPD. And we spend millions of dollars training people to do the same thing, but the city of New York does not care. They they simply would rather spend the money on training and not put into the pensions and the benefits. They're always complaining about it. Where do you go from here? First, I just want to say you're 100 percent right about uh, about how the city sees us. Uh, they just see us as a number. So yeah, they're saving millions on pensions. They're saving millions on benefits. There's no doubt about it, but uh, I can tell you that those savings, though, puts the public in jeopardy. Uh, there was a study done by a university that shows clinicians, uh, whether it's CMS or doctors, uh, they finally get to, to reach their top of performance when it comes to saving life after seven years of exposure, meaning that the more hand experience you have with patients, the better you become at it. So would you want somebody coming to your house with a one or two year experiencing uh, experience doing CPR on your loved one? Or do you want somebody who has seven years who can actually see signs and symptoms that the one year guy or girl didn't get to, to see, you know? So, the public is, is the one who's really suffering here by not having experienced workforce. Have you considered running a public ad campaign and creating awareness? Um, you know, we've been successful from the law enforcement end of getting a message out about crime, but crime has also just done its own messaging simply because it's happening all over the place. But people don't really know what you're telling me. And, you know, radio ads, TV ads, things like that, they're expensive, but have you given it any thought? So we've had some uh, some ad campaigns, some radio ads as well. Uh, you know, it's something that's always on our mind, uh, something that we, we try to bring out to the public. Uh, we're doing it at council hearings. We had so many council hearings, and, uh, you know, I thank the council members for assisting us. With some of these issues, uh, everything that I mentioned to you today, we brought to their attention, and you know they passed some some resolutions. They passed some legislation that that the fire department has to start complying with, as far as to why people are leaving this job. That was passed last year. Uh, you know the department. You know we're making small steps to hopefully get to the bigger step of educating the public is a big hit if you get more involved in that and, and get it out there. I, I really don't see the messaging hitting the public unless you become aggressive with it. Um, yeah. it it's shocking to hear what you're talking about. And when I watched it on Rosanna Scotto, I, I 
It was like, wow, it's it's a message that people really do need to know. I mean, no one goes to work or gets up in the morning thinking that they're going to end up in a hospital or dead. And right. you're that difference. You're that in between. You know, commuters from outside the city, you know, they end up in a hospital just like city residents do. And, you know, things go wrong. Gunshot victims. You bring up a, a really interesting point that a seasoned EMS worker has that experience, like a, a doctor in the ER or a nurse in the ER, they have years of experience at the seven-year mark that could make the difference between life and death. And we're allowing yeah. that to go to other agencies and not be utilized anymore. It's tragic. Or before we wrap up, anything that you want to cover that I did not? Uh, you mentioned about negotiations. Uh, I just hope that uh, we can come to terms with the city very soon. Uh, you know, people are hurting out there. Our, our men and women are struggling. Uh, they have to make decisions between uh, food in their in, in their stomach or sleeping in the car. I mean, we're, we're only asking for fair wages. That's all we're asking for. And uh, I want to thank all our fellow officers. Uh, I hope everybody stays safe out there. And thank you for for doing a great job protecting us with with the current situation that our mayor has placed all of us in. Unfortunately, he hasn't been much of a mayor. Um, you do know that, you know, the COVID uh, stimulus money that has been sent throughout the country has a component for hazardous duty money affecting COVID. And I can't think of any better group of workers than yours that are directly impacted by uh, COVID. Now, I don't know the details to it, but it's something to, to look into. I know our attorney is looking into that also. Um, as we go forward, if there's anything that we can do to help, um, I will certainly ensure that you're invited to any uniform meetings going forward. Hopefully, Eric Adams, um, you know, if he does win the election, recognizes you as a uniform worker like the rest, and that, that gets addressed. And that's something that I think would make a significant difference to your members going forward. So I want to thank you for taking the time and to all of your members who may be watching, you know, you are appreciated. And if we can help, we will, um, but keep thank doing you. What you're doing and thank you. And we should stay in touch. Thank you. For Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much for this. I appreciate it. Great. Thank we'll you for watching. Welcome to the point. We'll see you next time.